0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia.
1: On this week's episode, we have Justin and Lauren. There's all kinds of strange alliances in the animal kingdom where predators and prey occasionally help each other, but butterflies and ants seem to have teamed up in a very unusual way, which is seeming to benefit both parties but you won't believe how. Plus, we discover what's stowing away inside our ships and leading to potential ecological disasters. This week's City of Science is the city of Athens, Georgia. Now, now the city of Athens, Georgia is home to the University of Georgia, one of the most oldest And premier institutions for education in the South, founded in 1785, which is reasonably old. It used to be known as the Franklin College, you know, before, unofficially, before it was formalized to the University of Georgia. And one of the reasons why we're talking about it is because it's one of the premier research institution universities in the United States. Unlike many other colleges and universities which serve, you know, the purpose of training and educating students, which is very important, the University of Georgia does this, but also is a very, very active research institution. So much show that they actually have two very recognised research areas that we're going to talk about relates to our two stories. The first is it's one of the first universities to actually have its own independent school of ecology, uh, which is named the Odom School of Ecology, which was founded in 2007. And it's also home to the Skidaway Institute of Oceanography, which is uh, based on the northern end of Skidaway Island in, near Savannah, Georgia, founded in 1968, and it's a part of the research air units of University of Georgia. And the reason why we're talking about all of this is because University of Georgia has a very big expertise in understanding the oceans and the waters around the world and work quite a lot in trying to understand the things that live in those oceans, how that impacts our climate, what we can find from studying those oceans, how we can live in a more sustainable way, and also the life of reefs and the marine animals inside our oceans. That's really important, because uh, aside from just having a cool ship and boat that they can ride around to do oceanic study, this has actually been used to help solve some of the really big problems facing our ports and globally our oceans. So that's why Athens, Georgia is our city of science for this week, because it hosts the University of Georgia.
0: So, Justin, you know me. I love to go on holiday.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really a fun experience that everyone sort of has, you know. They get to find a place they want to go to and they just get to go out there and escape from their everyday life.
0: I mean, did I ever tell you that story of that time that I stowed away on a ship, and by stow away I mean I clung onto the side as I travelled from one country to the other? That seems
1: like a very perilous and also cold way to travel.
0: Well, I have a question for you. If I did manage to, to do that, how could you pre- could you predict how long I would be able to survive in that other country for?
1: Well, I guess it depends on how much sustenance you get out of salt and seawater and brine. But uh, say if you went to Antarctica, you probably survive a lot less time than say if you went to the lovely north coast of Queensland in the Great Barrier Reef, where the water is a lovely 24 degrees. Um, but it's a serious problem. Like, it's hard to think about this, but our ships that carry everything from the uh, the mobile phone that you're probably listening to this on, or the computer, or the food that you ate for dinner from one country to the next, has come probably, or been involved with something that's come over a ship. And these ships take on a lot of water in form of ballast, basically, in these big tanks inside the ships as well. And that's all fine. And that, you know, you go, okay, well, that's, that's cool, Justin. Ships have water inside them. I guess that makes sense. But... Inside that water is often stowaways, things like crabs, barnacles, jellyfish, you name it. Anything that can survive in a small environment, in a big tank, for a long time and uh, not really not really be that fussed.
0: So we're bringing surprise presents to other countries?
1: Yeah, basically. Our cargo ships are hauling more than just cargo. They're hauling dangerous species, invasive species, that invade the environment that they sort of go into. So at a big port, when the ships enter their ballast tanks again or when they're getting close to it, They'll release all these jellyfish and crabs and barnacles that they've been carrying into their new home. And all of a sudden, that little environment has to cope with a rapid influx of visitors. And visitors who don't have a ticket to leave.
0: So, Justin, there has to be a reason why we're talking about this, right?
1: Well, yeah, and it's and and this seems kind of like a trivial problem, but uh it's causing a lot of damage. It's estimated by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, that it's causing about $120 billion worth of damage in the U.S. alone. which is That's, that's a lot of money. That, like, that's killing a lot of fish and a lot of produce and a lot of environments, and that's just in one country.
0: So are we finding a way to stop this or a way to predict what's going to happen?
1: And And that's really the hard part because scientists are looking for a reason why some areas are invaded and other areas aren't invaded. And they've been a a huge study using data from countries like Australia and New Zealand, which have really isolated and strict border control regions because, you know, the only way you can get to us is via ship. So we've got good records on what's coming in and out through our biosecurity, um, which is great. But it also means that we've got some unique species here that we want to protect, and we can easily pick up when something that doesn't belong here makes its way here. So we've been using... Uh, Researchers from the University of Georgia have been using the records from Australia, America, and New Zealand to really build this big model and catalogue all the different types of species of marine invertebrates uh, that they've sort of normally live on the ocean floor but get swept up into these ships. And from 138 different species, they managed to find a really good predictor for why a species is a successful invader and why another species isn't.
0: Okay, so that's going to be something like, you know, body size or how they move around or, like, lava reproduction or something like that, right?
1: Yeah, something, you know, something logical, like, well, that's a really aggressive crab that's sort of made for that kind of new environment. It's going to really succeed there. But Mm. when they... That's what the scientists expected to find. And when they did all their number crunching and data analysis, science surprised them ...with a bit of a twist, and that is that, no, really, the best predictor for all of this is, in fact, just how long that area has been exposed to that potential trade route, or that connection. The size, the shape, it's any advantage of the individual thing don't necessarily matter as much as the length of time. Sooner or later, an invader is going to make its way through and survive... And this, this is pretty worrying because it means that there's areas that we, we, that are safe right now that may just be only a matter of time before a sneaky and crafty invader manages to find its way in.
0: So it'll be, at one point in time, there will be chihuahuas all over the Earth.
1: Well, if chihuahuas lived at the bottom of the ocean and travelled inside ship's ballast tanks surrounded by salt water, then yes, <laughs> yes, we have to worry about a plague of chihuahuas. But it is an important challenge for helping manage our ecosystems and keeping them safe. So a lot of new ship designs have tried to work out ways to sort of prevent things like barnacles, crabs, and starfish from sort of hanging out inside them. But it's a real struggle that our ecologists are trying to do to protect our beautiful native wildlife from these invading marine species. And it's another thing to watch out for when you're in port.
0: Justin. Yes. So if I give you one lollipop can you be my bodyguard?
1: Well it depends what I'm protecting you from. If it's a swarm of angry butterflies I'll take a lollipop in exchange for that but if it's facing off a horde of ninjas look I'm going to need to be paid with more than just you know a single lollipop. You're going to have to up your game there a bit Lauren.
0: What if I give you two of the best no. Ten I will feed you forever off amazing lollipops if you just protect me.
1: All right, look, that's a pretty good deal. If you're going to feed me the whole time, I guess I could protect you in exchange for that.
0: That sounds good. Okay, so you're the ant in this friendship and I am the caterpillar.
1: Yes, it's, it's a really curious relationship that's been discovered um, from researchers from Kobe University in Japan and effectively that they found that the caterpillars of the Nathura japonica are actually protected by an army of ants now these these butterflies aren't oh sorry these caterpillars aren't ant man they're just surrounding themselves as a posse. Of protective ants who guard them through thick and thin, and keep that little caterpillar safe from anything that may want to hurt it.
0: Okay, so how's this caterpillar convince these ants to become its bodyguard?
1: Yeah, you're right. You know, ants ants have a have a queen. You know, they have a colony. They got rules. They work as a unit. Why would they swear their allegiance and loyalty to a to a caterpillar? I mean, the caterpillar really isn't anything like an ant when you think about it. But what they're actually doing is giving them something even better than the queen or other type of thing can give it. They give it sweet, sweet secretions laced with a chemical that acts as a kind of drug for these ants. It, it gives them a dopamine response in their brain. It, it basically decreases the level of dopamine and, and sort of chills out the ant and makes it relaxed and... Pretty happy with this caterpillar. In fact, it's sort of like, yeah, I'm going to protect this guy. He's he's given me the good stuff. He knows where it's at.
0: So it basically starts brainwashing the ants.
1: Effectively. he It brainwashes the ants by uh, giving them a taste of something that they can't get anywhere else because it's a secretion only produced by these caterpillars. And effectively... Um, they 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 study this in detail by taking some butterfly eggs and the young caterpillars and putting them near different ant colonies in Kyoto and Okinawa, and basically they were raised on a on a, a type of a blue oak tri, uh, plant, and or supplied yeah and the ants were given food they had other options they didn't have to eat the secretions they were given maple syrup and a whole bunch of other stuff, but as soon as you put the caterpillars together. With the ants, the ants went straight, you know, for that secretion. And once they started, they were
0: hooked. So you mentioned they used a bunch of different types of species. Did they find like it was only some species who decided to do this, who prioritized that sweet, sweet,
1: what did you call it? (laughs) Secretions of a caterpillar. Now, it's it's interesting because they've mostly done this study with different species of ants located in different regions of the areas, but they both had the same response. They also found that, you know, if the ants just ate the secretions, they get a net nutritional benefit. It's actually decent food for them. So it's not just like they're getting nothing out of this deal. They're getting a good meal. And in exchange, their brains are being chemically altered in order to protect that source of the meal.
0: Can I ask, do we know how they pre- like protect the caterpillar? Just like, does their presence deter predators?
1: Yeah, basically, they've been found to actually attack spiders and wasps that sort of try to come near the caterpillar and eat it before it has a chance to cocoon and turn into a butterfly. And it's actually actually interesting. The ants who actually ingested the secretions, they were more aggressive when the caterpillar was alarmed. So if the caterpillar flared up its tentacle like organ thingies, the ants would be like, wait, something's happening. We've got to be on our guard here, let's go attack. But if it was chill, they would chill. So basically, the, the ants themselves are being directed, for want of a better word, by this host caterpillar who's sort of looking after them, keeping them fed and keeping its army of bodyguards happy.
0: Well, they sound like some good friends.
1: They do, they sound like some good friends. Just Just minus the part about chemically altering their minds and moods and adjusting their dopamine levels. But aside from that, it's a match made in heaven.
0: For a match made in a cocoon. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point.
1: This week we found out about stowaways inside our ships and ballast tanks leading to ecological disasters across the world. Plus, we found out the interesting relationship between butterflies and ants and some weird secretions.
0: Our ending theme was composed by Audio Anatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.